Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. This week, we talk with Sarah Probst, the Cabinet Secretary of the Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resources Department for the state of New Mexico. New Mexico recently enacted legislation to transition to 100% zero-carbon electricity by the year 2050 and provide transition assistance to workers and communities affected by the changing energy landscape. I'll ask Secretary Probst about how the bill was developed, how much it's going to cost, and what other steps New Mexico is taking to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Stay with us. Sarah Probst, thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. It's really great to have you. Thanks. It's my pleasure. So, Sarah, we're going to talk in detail about New Mexico's Energy Transition Act today, but but we always like to learn about how our guests got interested in the world of energy and the environment. So can you tell us about how you found yourself working in this space? You bet. So I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and um, the first environmental group I got to know was a group called the Friends of the North Fork of the Shenandoah River. Very, very local, very grassroots. And they, they inspired my interest in, um, in environmental policy. And then in college, I had uh, an experience with Davidson in Washington with my college to go have an internship in, in D.C. And I worked for a, an environmental nonprofit that focused on climate change. And then one opportunity led to another. And I've been in the energy and environmental policy space ever since. Fantastic. So you went to Davidson. I did. Oh, great! I'm from North Carolina, so I'm oh, really cool. I'm all for it. And also, in in the song Shenandoah, of course, is you know ringing in my ears as we speak. Yes, it's a, a beautiful song in a beautiful place. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, so let's move from the East Coast out to uh, out yeah. to the Southwest to to New Mexico and talk about the Energy Transition Act, which was uh, signed into law recently by Governor uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham. And I, I'm just going to give a little bit of background about the bill, and you can correct anything I get wrong, and, and then uh, and then I'll ask you uh, some questions, sort of about how it's developed and about some some particular policy elements that that I find really interesting. So the bill, as, as some of our readers might know, it sets out requirements for 100% zero carbon dioxide electricity and 80% renewables by 2050 uh, in New Mexico. There are some safety valves in the bill that are in place in case there are very high costs or problems with reliability or other technical problems that that you know could adjust those goals as time goes on. But, but those are the main goals that are laid out in the legislation. Uh, there's also a lot of focus in the bill on funding for transition assistance for workers and communities that are dependent on fossil fuel production and consumption. Um, the bill is focused on the electricity sector rather than than other parts of the economy. Um, it doesn't directly address, uh, for example, oil and gas production in New Mexico, which has surged in recent years, particularly in the Permian Basin. And I know there are other legislative efforts related to methane and, and other issues that, that New Mexico is focused on. So that's a you know my super brief summary of the Energy Transition Act, and you know one of the things that strikes me about this policy is that you know we've seen ambitious climate policy enacted in a number of states, uh, including places like New York and California, where the political environment is pretty different from New Mexico's, which is more I would say politically balanced, maybe is one way to say it. Um, so can you uh, first you know correct any mistakes I may have made in in characterizing the the legislation, and then tell us a little bit about the stakeholder engagement process and the dialogue that you and the governor went through to to help develop this piece of legislation. So you're right. This is a really big and complex and ambitious bill. Um, And the bill was first introduced last year in the 2018 legislative session and before the governor was elected in the political climate change here. 
And I think the, the, the lead sponsor, Senator Jacob Candelaria, and his co-sponsors learned a lot um, through that painful process when the bill did not pass of, of what the sensitivities were around it um, and what kinds of problems needed to be solved for this time around. And so a couple of things happened. Um, over last summer, stakeholders were meeting. I actually, in my previous job, was part of that conversation about um, how can we change the bill to gain more support um, and for it to be a better deal for New Mexico. And then Governor Lujan Grisham, one of her primary campaign platforms was a stronger RPS. Um, that was very important to her and, and to see that in the bill and for it to be statewide, not just applying to Public Service Company of New Mexico, um, which was in the draft last year. Mm -hmm. So the bill actually became stronger um, over the summer and, and as the governor and, and the administration got involved this year. Um, and, and we, as far as the negotiation process, um, you know, the governor was very firm about those RPS targets and was not willing to dilute them. Um, she wanted to negotiate up. And that's exactly what we did by adding the, the zero carbon standards on top of the RPS, um, mm -hmm. because that ultimately climate change is the, the problem that we're solving for. And um, having a zero carbon standard is important. Um, so because the bill had run last year, we were aware of a number of issues. Um, one was a concern about utilities owning a lot of the replacement power. Um, there were also concerns about community assistance and worker transition. Um, there were tribal concerns. There were consumer concerns. And um, each individual um, utility and, and the co-ops all have a different electricity mix and a different set of constraints um, and opportunities for moving forward to comply with these kinds of standards. So we took them, you know, one at a time, um, and it was really intense, particularly during this legislative session, but just solved for those problems. We solved for the workforce issues. We solved for labor issues. We solved for ownership issues. We solved for RPS and zero carbon. And it was, um, the, the sponsors were personally involved in the negotiations. Um, the governor was personally involved in the negotiations. I was personally involved, uh, basically lived at the Capitol, the session, trying to get this bill done. Mm -hmm. A lot of other cabinet secretaries helped. So it was all hands on deck um, and it was um, it was very pragmatic in trying to solve for these problems. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to to hear at least a little bit about the the, the process. Can you maybe uh, go into detail about, you know, maybe pick one of the big um, challenges or, or big processes that you went through with stakeholder groups and kind of give us a little bit more more detail about how it was developed, maybe issues related to workforce or, uh, or procurement or, or anything that you want to give us some more detail on? As far as workforce and community transition, um, this was this is really hard, and there's not um, there are some other models out there nationally, but not a great one. So we really had to think about, you know, what is the situation right now in New Mexico? What is the time frame for the shutdown, which in, in our case is 2022, so just a few short years, and you know who do we who do we need to um, help? And so what transpired was a, a set of three different funds that would be um, would be funded through the transition bond proceeds um, if the securitization package is approved by the PRC. And one is a, is a fund administered by the Department of Workforce Solutions. Um, so they would help with worker retraining for programs for affected workers in the community. Mm -hmm. um, one is at the Economic Development Department, so for bigger economic development transition programs that might affect the city of Farmington, for example, in the Four Corners region. And then finally, um, a fund at the Indian Affairs Department um, that will focus exclusively on tribal issues. One of the things that we heard from 
um, legislators and tribal legislators in particular um, was that there are issues uh, that in Indian country that are unique and it's different than just your traditional workforce training types of programs. And so governor was very uh, understanding of that. And so we added that that fund as well. Um, we also had extensive conversations government to government with the Navajo Nation, uh, because a lot of the workers at both the San Juan Generating Station and the mine are Navajo. And um, we talked with the with President Nez and his administration about what they needed to see, you know, to help those workers transition. And they ultimately supported the bill because of some of the changes that we made to reflect their concerns. Yeah. That's great. And so for for listeners who don't have a, a good mental map of uh, New Mexico in their heads and, and where these um, these important coal generating stations and mines are, um, they are, I, I believe there's three coal plants in New Mexico. They're all in the sort of northwestern portion of the state and two particularly large ones in, in the Four Corners region, right, right up there in the northwest. Is that about right? So the San Juan generating station is in New Mexico, um, and that is the the uh, facility two units have already been shut down, and the remaining two units are what we're discussing, you know, with this bill. Um, and PNM, the primary owner, it's our largest utility in New Mexico, um, has already said, you know, we don't see this plant as being economic after 2022, and we want to get out of it. Um, and that's what precipitated this whole conversation in this legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Four Corners generating station is in the um, is actually on the Arizona side. Okay. Um, but it, it could be PM owns a portion of that too, so it, it could be affected by this bill. Escalante is a tri-state facility that the co-ops um, receive power from, and it's not um, in play in this legislation right now. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Um let's uh let's go back to another term that you mentioned a couple moments ago, which was the energy transition bond. So so there are two um sort of interrelated and really important elements of the Energy Transition Act. One of them is called the Energy Transition Bond, which is a bond that utilities will issue to help finance the costs of the transition. And second is an energy transition charge, which is a charge that consumers will see on their utility bills to support the costs of the effort. Do you can you give us a little bit more detail about um, uh, each of those elements of the legislation and also maybe give us uh, an estimate, if you have them, about the size of the bond offerings that will be necessary to sort of complete the transition and how much uh, consumers might face on a monthly basis when it comes to, uh, you know, increased charges that they will see on their utility bills. The energy transition costs are defined in the bill to include abandonment costs, um, not to exceed the lower of $375 million or 150% of the undepreciated investment in the qualifying generating facility, which is a lot of jargon. But basically, um, the bill does cap the amount of these bonds. It's not infinite um, of what it it can be. Um, And then there's some more detail under that. Um, So that's the cost. Um, Consumers in New Mexico are already paying for um, San Juan and for the, you know, for, to, to pay down that capital cost of the plant. So the current charge that they're paying would be removed from the bills and it would be replaced with this new charge to pay for the for the bonds. What is attractive about securitization and why the legislation was needed, because before this bill, utilities did not have the ability to go use securitization and, and apply for it at the PRC, at our regulatory commission. They uh, can go for AAA rated bonds. And that's a much lower cost of capital than what the utility would otherwise have access to. And that right. saves customers money. Right. 
that makes sense. Can you tell us how that sort of idea came about? Is it a model that you had seen deployed in other uh, jurisdictions or in other sort of energy transition contexts, or, or did it come about in some other manner? Securitization is a, a concept and a mechanism that's familiar to the utility industry. It's been used around the country for various um, purposes, you know, from retiring nuclear to other other types of plants. So it is something we're familiar with, but it does require legislative authorization in New Mexico. Great. So um, moving on to talk a little bit more about sort of the local effects of uh, the plant closures that, that are likely to, to be coming about in the coming years. Can you talk a little bit more about how specifically these transition funds will be used to help workers and businesses uh, make the transition away from relying on, you know, this one particular coal plant, um, the, the San Juan generating station uh, and the mechanisms that you think might be put in place to actually, you know, uh, really deploy these funds and, and help workers and communities transition? Yes. Yeah, so the um, in the case of P&M's coal-fired San Juan plant, um, securitization is expected to provide over $40 million to assist plant employees and mine workers and others with severance pay and job training. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about how that money would flow and where it would go and who would control it, um, as is the case often with funding. Um, And the bill, you know, I I mentioned the three funds at Workforce Solutions, Economic Development and Indian Affairs, but they are are required under the act to have a public input process and to create an advisory committee um, that will provide them with ideas generated from the local community about what they want to see and what they think the highest needs are in the community. So um, in the case of the Indian Affairs Fund, um, they are required to include representatives of local Navajo Nation chapter houses as part of their coalition. Um, Mm -hmm. Affected workers are supposed to be part of the coalition. Um, It is meant to be bipartisan. Um, So state we have a state tribal collaboration act in New Mexico that requires government to government consultation on, on matters that affect our joint jurisdictions or our separate jurisdictions. And um, so that act is to be followed um, with this process. So a a lot of care and thought about exactly how um, consultation with the community and with the tribes and nations would work and making sure that we have as much buy-in as possible and that the, the programs are appropriate for the local community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like the departments will be working to gather stakeholder input and then sort of develop their approaches based on based on that input. Is that right? Yes. In fact, I, the, my colleague, the Secretary of Workforce Solutions, has already been up to Farmington and already has been talking to people about this task force. And so efforts are underway. Right. And Farmington, just for those who don't know, again, this is, uh, I think it's the largest city up in the northwestern part of the state. Is that right? Yeah, and it's the zip code for the coal plant. Okay, great. And also, interestingly, a big natural gas producing region, um, which brought me out there a few years ago, uh, and a beautiful place in general. Um, so one more question about uh, the um, this particular policy approach, the Energy Transition Act. So some states have used carbon pricing as a tool to reduce emissions from the power sector uh, and, and other sectors as well. RFF, uh, you know, we've done a lot of work on carbon pricing as well as other uh, other policies like like clean energy standards. Can you talk a little bit about how um, uh, legislators and the governor? Uh, picked this particular approach, this standards-based approach uh, to reduce emissions uh, v- uh, relative to some of the other options that might have been out there, like carbon pricing? 
I want to be clear that, you know, I wouldn't rule out that New Mexico will never consider carbon pricing. In fact, I think we we should in the future. Um, but for now, you know, this this bill came about organically as a result of conditions on the ground. You know, we have a coal plant that has become uneconomic. And how do you deal with that? And how do you think about the replacement power and where the state's going to go? And being a vertically integrated state um, where the utilities are, are fully regulated by our public regulation commission, um, it's very important to tell tell them what the expectations are and how to plan. And that's why a renewable portfolio standard and a zero carbon standard are important so that they can plan their future and, and know what resources that we expect them to bring online and that the commission expects to, to bless ultimately. So that was important. Um, the market-based solutions are also important and they can be very important for achieving other economy-wide greenhouse gas emission reductions. And uh, the governor, as you may know, issued a, a climate change executive order in January um, that enumerates a, a number of um, specific action items on methane reductions and clean cars and building codes and other strategies um, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in New Mexico. So the Energy Transition Act and the RPS and the Zero Carbon Standard are really important to achieving those emission reductions, but we know we need to do some other things in other sectors of the economy. Right. And that leads right into the next question that I, that I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you know, moving beyond the electricity sector. So, so of course, moving to a zero emissions electricity grid by 2050 is, um, is, a, is an ambitious goal in and of itself, uh, but it doesn't include other sectors, as, as I mentioned earlier, and as you've just alluded to. So things like, you know, residential and commercial uh, buildings, industrial sector, transportation, uh, and on and on. Are, can you talk a little bit more about some of those additional plans that are in the pipeline to, uh, to reduce emissions from from those sectors? Governor Lujan Grisham announced that New Mexico would join the U.S. Climate Alliance um, to achieve the Paris um, greenhouse gas emission reductions. So we've established an interagency task force to identify all the things that we need to do to achieve those goals. Um, the, the executive order does spell out some of the things that she expects us to get started on right away. Um, one of them, for example, is, is a methane reduction rule. Um, as you mentioned, New Mexico is a large um, oil and gas producer, producing state. We have the, the Permian Basin, which is in the southeastern corner of New Mexico. The Permian Basin straddles New Mexico and Texas, uh, in, um, and that is the a huge oil producing region. It is booming right now. And a lot, because it's an oil producing region, we're seeing a lot of methane emissions, a lot of natural gas emissions um, as a byproduct of that. They're not going for the gas, they're going for the oil. And so right. that satellite data indicates that we have a big problem there and we need to address it. The um, San Juan Basin is a, a gas producing region. Um, things are pretty slow right now because of the low price of gas, but um, that is another place where we'll probably be more focused on leaks and leak detection. Right. So we are working in, uh, in conjunction with the Environment Department on what that platform uh, will look like to reduce emissions. Great. And how about for, for some of the other sectors? Um, you mentioned transportation. Um, are there? Can you talk a little bit about what the governor might have in mind uh, uh, for that sector as well as any other important parts of the economy? One of the bills that the governor promoted during the legislative session that, that passed and she signed um, requires our utilities to start planning for electric vehicle infrastructure and to propose plans every two years to the utility commission for what they think the barriers are to more EV deployment, what they need to do in terms of deploying charging stations, um, what the opportunities are, should we be offering incentives, all of those kinds of things. So I think that 
Um, that bill sets New Mexico on a course towards planning for an electric vehicle future. Um, we also just for state government are uh, installing charging stations at some of the uh, state government facilities in Santa Fe around the capital and installing solar to power them uh, at those buildings. So expect more from us, I think, on transportation and electric vehicles. But that bill did get us started. Uh-huh. Yeah, fascinating. Um, one uh, last question that uh, that I want to ask you about New Mexico that's different from many other states, and, and we've already mentioned it a couple times, which is the relationship between the state government and the, the tribal government uh, that is located within New Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about how, um, how the state has worked with uh, – different tribal entities to accomplish some of these environmental goals, uh, just because the, the situation in New Mexico is, you know, different from a lot of other states in, in that we have these, uh, you know, multiple sovereigns uh, within the same within the same geographical space uh, looking to accomplish the same goals, but, you know, coming from different perspectives. Sure. Um, so New Mexico is one of the few states, I, I don't know how many there are, um, that have a cabinet level Indian Affairs Department. Um, and so that sends a very strong signal of how seriously we take our um, government to government relationships in New Mexico. Um, every single agency has a tribal liaison um, for the issues that we cover. Um, sometimes the work on the ground that you're asking about is, um, is a sharing of technical expertise. Um, that happens a lot with the Environment Department. Um, for our department at Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resources, we often have discussions about um, attracting renewable energy developers and how to do that. And we share information about developers and um, transmission and um, things that, you know, that cross borders. So um, a lot of information flow um, happens. And New Mexico also uh has a process to provide um, cap, what we call capital outlay, and that's funding for infrastructure projects like roads and schools and facilities and um, community centers. And the tribal governments are eligible to receive tribal uh, capital outlay money as well. So um, I believe that the Navajo Nation receives support for some solar initiatives that they have this year. So there are um, policy and expertise and funding relationships that happen. Great. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, all right. So, uh, Sarah Props, I wish uh, I could keep you on the line and ask you many, many more questions uh, about the details of this bill and other uh, fascinating issues, but uh, but we're running short on time. So uh, I want to transition us to our last part of the show, uh, which we uh, in which we ask all of our guests to tell us what's at the top of their literal or metaphorical reading stack. So something that you've read or watched or heard or seen or done recently that uh, is related to energy and the environment that you think is really interesting that you'd recommend to our listeners. Um, I'll get us started with a quick uh, mention of a trip that I took to a large wind farm in uh, Michigan. I actually live in Michigan, and I uh, went to the Thumb of Michigan, which is a very windy part of the state, and toured uh, a couple of wind farms there. And uh, what really surprised me was that on a windy day, which it was when I visited, you literally cannot hear the wind turbines uh, unless you get right up next to them. And um, that surprised me. I sort of had, uh, uh, from media reports and other sources, I had a vision in my head that once you get anywhere near these large turbines, you could, would sort of hear a low 
uh, low frequency noise uh, with the whooshing of the winds. But it actually wasn't the case. Uh, and uh, that's partly because the wind in itself is loud. And so when the wind is whistling, you can't necessarily hear the turbines uh, spinning at the same rate. Uh, so that's my little factoid of the day. Uh, but, uh, but Sarah, uh, it'd be great to know what's on the top of your uh, reading stack. So I'm going to go in a different direction from energy on this one. Um, our department covers state parks, um, as you may know, and one of our state parks is Clayton Lake. And Clayton Lake um, is home to some really incredible dinosaur tracks um, mm. that are being studied right now. And so I've gotten kind of interested in in the Southwest and dinosaurs and that park and the tracks and what's going on. And I'm, I'm currently reading a book called The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs um, by a, a paleontologist. And it really is meant for um, you and me to read. You don't have to be a scientist to understand this book. It's just, it's really wonderful. And it paints the picture of what um, what the Southwest and what the world was like um, during the, the Jurassic period and when the dinosaurs were stomping around out here. So I recommend yeah. that book. Yeah. Fantastic. What's it called again? And, and who is it's the author? It's called the, the Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs. And it's by Steve Broussat. Okay. If wonderful. I'm pronouncing his name right, I hope I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll put a link to it up on the on the show page so, so people can find it. Cool. All right. Well, Sarah Props, thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio and uh, telling us all about the Energy Transition Act and, and so much more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on Resources Radio. We'd love to hear what you think, so please rate us on iTunes or leave us a review. It helps us spread the word. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of Resources for the Future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. Resources Radio is produced by Kate Peterson, with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.